Welcome to the Road Tripping PT Podcast. I'm Tyler, and along with my co-host and wife, Carrie, we are two traveling doctors of physical therapy. What started as an idea to document our travels and the interesting conversations we have with people across the country has turned into this podcast. Join us as we talk all things, including travel therapy, our adventures, and interview strangers turned friends throughout our travel assignments. Welcome to the show. Yep. Sorry, you're not good enough. I guess so. that's so crazy. I've been thinking more and more about like, the, like again, this house shopping, who would have thought, like I knew manufacturing was behind, but like who would have thought the washer and dryer? Yeah, I would never have guessed that. Our bedroom set we bought in October and it doesn't come till late January. Like we've just been sleeping with the mattress on the floor because we're too lazy to put the, like a temporary setup in there. But yeah. it's backlogged. All the warehouses and stuff are just so delayed. Yeah. I just crazy. can't believe you own a house. That's just throwing me yeah. off. I thought you were in a van. I have to give you a tour somewhere. I know, right? We'll just come one day and you can give us a tour. Yeah, I would love that. And the more and more I think about it, I'm like, you know, if Tyler and Carrie came, we'd probably actually go on hikes because Mitch and I have not done anything really (laughs) moving here. Um, You you guys need to go to the ice castles. (gasps) It's snowy yesterday, so it's all snowy. But now it's sunny, so hopefully it melts off. Luckily, something I did not think about is our house faces whatever direction the sun needs to face that it naturally melts the snow versus the other side is always like real icy all the time their snow doesn't melt um so i'm grateful for that are you on like a slant like at your driveway are you on a little incline it's a tiny tiny incline not big and then the sun hits that side of the street the most so it the corner lots we have to do the whole front sidewalk and wrap around and Mitch like, oh my God, we're so stupid by the corner lot. <laughs> the first time I had to go out there, he's like, you're helping me shovel this snow. I was like, all right, all right, I'll help. I was struggling. I'm like, this is exhausting. <laughs> Why do people do this all the time? I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And Mitch was like, hurry up. You need to get over here. <laughs> and there was all this ice because we waited too long. I'm like, call it. Call it. Buy, go buy a snowblower or something. I'm like, I'm done. So currently, we still don't have anything, but he found this, like, flamethrower thing. And I'm like, no. No. <laughs> I, I saw those on someone posting on, like, Instagram. They just stand up on their steps and just using the flamethrower. I'm like, no, no, no. I did not <laughs> throw it. He's like, oh, come on. It'd be two seconds. I was like, mm, I don't think so. so. He's really so set on that, though. So we'll have to figure out what we do. Because yeah. I'm like, this is terrible. You have to do this every time. <laughs> Tyler loved it in Maine. He's like, like I'm going to go shovel. Yeah, but he we, like shoveled the entire driveway all the way to the road and then some. I'm like, Aww. we were also in the middle of nowhere though. So, like, if you wanted to leave it, it would just hinder you from getting out. It didn't matter if you left yeah. it or not. See, that's what I'm worried about. A lot of people walk dogs, and we do have an HOA. It's only $15 a year. So, it's like a very low key HOA. I think technically you're supposed to have it shoveled by a certain time. And I just get nervous that people are going to walk and slip on ice in front of our area. Oh, yeah. Pretty good about it. But I was talking to one of my patients about it. And he's like, oh, I loved it. I took my snubbler. Just go do the whole neighborhood. Da, 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 da. I'm like, that sounds like Tyler. I bet Tyler would do <laughs> that. That would totally be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. Your HOA is $15 a year? Yeah. 15 like one five. I think it's 15 a year. I, or maybe it's quarterly. I have to double check. It might be. I don't remember what it was. That's, that's like the lowest HOA I've fee heard. I've literally heard. That sounds like it should be a month at least. Uh, maybe it is a month. I don't know because we haven't. The previous owners had it 
paid out through like March or something. I haven't had to pay anything, but I think awesome. Oh, maybe it's a quarter. I know it's really low. Um, and that's super involved. There's a little pool house somewhere that we haven't interacted with at all. Um, but my mom was like, San Diego has no HOA. So she's like, oh, I wouldn't do it if I were you. <laughs> like, this is the lowest key HOA you could possibly find. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, you guys need to go check out the ice castles in Denver. I, we will. We, I mean, we've been kind of avoiding Denver because it's so crazy over there. But Oh, yeah. We will go check them out. I think someone just posted about that, about the ice castles. In there. Yeah, I don't know that it's in like down, like it might be like outside of Denver. I can't yeah. imagine they put big ice castles like that. That's true. In the middle of the That's crazy, but. I'll look at where it's at. Anyways, I just saw, yeah, someone, some other travel couple is in Denver and they were there this weekend. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's by Vanessa. Sounds like there should be no excuses why this travel couple is not in Denver. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We're working oh, on us. I thought we're you meant, yeah. on. You too. <laughs> there's never, they, so there's two of them and I don't know what happened, but they, I guess they just wanted to get to Colorado. So only one of them took a job. And then, oh, they both are working now, I think. Like they're they both found doing PRN. Jobs, so they could, yeah. They uh, oh, check it out. But it's hard to get two jobs in that area. Just everyone because everyone wants to be there. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. But there are I, there's I mean, some that come up in that. like out like um there's been a couple of like northern and southern if Colorado. If you're talking but, about Alamosa, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> is that one that we asked you about before? I don't think you asked me about one in Colorado. Okay, I'll have to send you the names because they come up every now and then. There's been a couple schools and a couple skilled nursing. But they're all like a couple hours from Denver. But either way, that'd be closer than where we are now. That's true. I mean, pretty much everywhere is going to be pretty. Denver yeah. isn't, like, necessarily. More and more I go through it. I'm like, Denver's very city. Anywhere else is so, like, beautiful, like, yeah. mountainsides, everything. Most of them are going to be good spots. Some of them just seem like they're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. All right. I'll let you get to work. I'm hey. going to go grocery shop. All right. Quick question for you, Vanessa, before we get officially started. Yeah. Am I cutting in and out? on the recording no you're not you're not okay occasionally yours is but i don't know if that's just my wi-fi or yours but let me check i'm gonna blame your wi-fi but let me check mine has all five little swirls mine does i don't know maybe it'll come out all right whatever well i've been recording some of this already because i we'll see what we use but okay okay (laughs) (laughs) uh now that that we've started a little bit Give an introduction for anyone listening. So, you know, you're a physical therapist, but how'd you end up where you're at and what are you currently doing? Would you, how far back would you like me to go? Well, I guess let's start with, uh, we, we met in PT school. Let's start there. And we were, uh, basically nemesis and then we mm-hmm. became best friends. <laughs> yes. Yes. So PT school, um, first day at Loma Linda, I remember I made one friend, um, with our friend Samantha and I think she continued to branch into your guys's group the story now goes that you thought I knew too much <laughs> or I surprised you with my information on a various anatomy tests that was coming up <laughs> that was a stressful time I just remember telling Carrie I was like I hate that girl <laughs> already <Yeah. laughs> I was marked as a nemesis and I don't even remember the moment but um, apparently that I continued my efforts. I said, I'm going to make friends with this friend group, um, and breached, breached the barrier of nemesis to friendship. 
which is which is great. <laughs> so, um, I know you did try travel for a quick second, but what was your first job out of PT school? What setting? So right out of well, in PT school, I had one clinical rotation that was a skilled nursing facility, and. I don't know about you, but I feel like at our particular grad school, there wasn't much focus on geriatrics. We had one teacher that I think was really passionate about geriatrics, uh, and I did enjoy him as a professor. But I don't know really what setting I was thinking I was going to go into. I thought maybe more hospital. I didn't think I was going to go into sports. But after this clinical rotation at a skilled nursing facility, I fell in love with geriatric population um, knew that that's what I wanted going out of school. It was something that I feel like not enough good qualified PTs go into. I think a lot of people think it's higher pay potentially. So they kind of go into it for that. And there's a lot of cookie cutter type treatments. You've been in skilled nursing at this point, right? Quite a few. So I feel like that's kind of the vibe. People always say I haven't had a good experience or whatever. So wanted to make sure I made myself available to be a very passionate PT in skilled nursing uh, so I did that for ooh, two years, I want to say, in San Diego. I did. I was nursing. shocked. I was literally shocked <laughs> that you were doing skilled nursing. I don't know why. I just didn't think about it. But yeah, I, I agree. I don't think in school, well, no one wanted to work in a skilled nursing. I don't remember any of our yeah. classmates being like, yeah, that sounds great. But yeah. you've been doing it. Sam, I think Sam did it for a little bit. She did it for a little bit, yeah. And then out of our last like three years of travel, at least half of mine has been skilled nursing. I actually don't mind it. Some, there's some good ones out there that are nice. Yeah, I feel like there's a huge need for it. I think that if, I mean, I'm sure travel jobs pop up for it because there's not a huge, like, desire for people to want to do it. I agree with you that no one in our class was like, that's where I'm called to. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I think people think it's, like, very gross or very boring and to be honest, I feel like a lot of the stuff we learned in school does not apply to geriatric populations. You can't get them on their stomach for half the massage stuff we were taught, you know. Um, a lot of the vestibular stuff we were taught is not applicable with their neck pain and their arthritis, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to really get creative. And I feel like within that first skilled nursing setting I was in, I said, wow, I really need to change up what I'm doing because <laughs> it doesn't apply. <laughs> Yeah, especially you don't even want to see anything about vertigo with the geriatric in a nursing home. You're like, I'm not going to move the neck like that. Let's just. Well, leave. I do now, but yeah, do you? It's a stressful time. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I was going to say, so how long did you work? Because you were in San Diego for quite a while. Two years, you said. I was at the same building for maybe two, just under two and a half years. I also did a PRN job at a nearby skilled nursing facility. So that was nice because I got to do maybe some evals first thing in the morning, maybe two evals or a treat or something, and then go straight to work afterwards because they were only maybe five minutes apart, um, which was a nice combo. They worked, they collaborated well together. Is that where you were working when we first met Mitch and we came down and you were living in that like apartment? Yes, yes. So I... Yeah, if it was in San Diego, I was at the same building the whole time. Gotcha. Which was so, nice. Um, I know you worked there for a while, for those two years, and then was your travel job right after that? Yeah, so for the listeners, some back context is that my boyfriend at the time and still current boyfriend <laughs> um, was in the Marine Corps. So he was deployed 
And he's initially from New York. And so I think that knowing that when he got back from deployment, his contract with the Marine Corps was ending. And so we, had, we were starting to come up with decisions of whether we wanted to move back to New York to be closer to his family, or if we were going to stay in San Diego, or if we just wanted to pick a different state to move to. Um, I think pretty quickly we decided we wanted to leave California. And long-term wise, I think we settled in Colorado. Um, mainly because I said I would never survive an East Coast winter. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, but I also really like the idea that San Diego was a two-hour flight away from Colorado for the most part. So it's pretty easy to do weekend trips. And Colorado is beautiful. I mean, it's a great state. So it wasn't really hard to make that decision. So as I was wrapping up my San Diego job, I said, why rush straight to Colorado? I had kind of your guys' experience about travel. So I said, you know, we can take a travel job somewhere and it might be fun for us to go some live somewhere else before we commit to Colorado because ideally we'll be there for the foreseeable future in Colorado. And so that's where, while he was deployed, I started looking up jobs and whatnot and stumbled across a travel contract in New Orleans at a rehab hospital. That's so crazy. All the way to New Orleans. <laughs> I know that's, that's the kind of city. <laughs> I feel like that's the kind of city, though, that you'd like to experience. I mean, it was, so it worked out perfect that I was just naming cities to Mitch at the time, like, do you want to do Georgia or Florida or like different states and cities, all that. Um, and for whatever reason, he really thought New Orleans would be fun. I always thought New Orleans Mardi Gras was a particular day. Once we moved there, we realized it's a season and we were there for the entirety of Mardi Gras season. So <laughs> we were there just before Christmas until like two weeks after Mardi Gras ended. So it was a perfect time, not too hot. Got to experience New Orleans probably at its peak, which was really fun. That is a uh, unique smell on Bourbon Street. Yes. That <laughs> oh, yes, it's wafting in right now. I can imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we went to visit it, when we were working in Shreveport, we, we went down there and it was supposed to rain. So I was like, okay, I'll, I first off didn't account for the humidity and I had on like rain boots and a jacket so that was a terrible idea it was still muggy mm. but the next morning we walked in I was like wow this smells like actually a nursing home yeah. <laughs> that's what it reminded me of it was a great city though like it was cool to see the architecture and it's kind of like Vegas you just walk around with your open container and do whatever I would argue that it's better than Vegas I think that if I were to do like a bachelorette or bachelor party New Orleans is so much more accessible there's no coverage charges for bars, open container law all over there as well. It was a great, great city. I don't think it would have worked for us long-term. I don't, what's, what months were you there? Oh, shoot, like August or September, the hottest of the hot. We were there. Yeah, so it was perfect because we were there before it really got hot. We got to experience some of those um, very rainy like storms that they get. It's a crazy city. It feels like a time warp, a little bubble of just really, really fun. There's so much great, like, cool culture and music and sights to see to it. But I would argue the worst drivers I've ever seen. <laughs> see, we just Airbnb, or not Airbnb, we uh, Ubered around, so it wasn't a big deal. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to drive around in that city. No, it was crazy. I got into my first car accident there. I just bought that a new car in December preparing for this trip. And then we got into a car accident like the first week and a half we were there. And then my car was out of commission. So luckily we had Mitch's car there. So he drove me to work every day for the next like six weeks, seven weeks. <laughs> That's a short contract too. It was only like eight weeks. Well, I 
had a tougher contract experience, I want to say. Um, I the, I mean, you guys definitely have a lot more knowledge on this, but the Louisiana licensing process, I feel like it's very complex. Do you, is that more complex than other states for you guys? It, the only one that's really rivaled in how long it takes and difficult was Arizona time-wise. But Louisiana, you have to like meet with the board member and everything. So when we got there, I like barely had time to meet with him so I can get my license cleared to start work because that was a big hindrance, especially when you're traveling because yeah. you don't know when you're going to get there and then you have to pick a day to meet. Yeah. Um, I think when I – so for some context, you have to do fingerprints, like official fingerprints, and send them to the FBI, and you're paying for that. Yeah, uh, my place had to have two – back to back, like two-step TB test. There was a lot of forms to fill out and then you have to do an official background check. And then I think at the time I was doing it, they waived that meet with the board member. Gotcha. Not sure why, but I remember it was waived. But I was just, from the time I accepted the contract, I think I submitted all the paperwork I needed to submit within like two, three days. I tried to do it as fast as I could because I knew that the timeline was approaching. They initially wanted me there the week of Christmas, um, we continue to communicate to my co- travel contract person that, I, you know, I haven't heard anything. We're going to start making the push out to Louisiana. Hopefully the license comes through, but everyone was being pretty open of it's the holidays. Things are going to really slow down. It's unlikely to come through on time. <laughs> so I remember telling it, it basically become very apparent that I wasn't going to get my licensure until just after the new year. And so I committed from leaving my family for the holidays in hopes that it would come sooner. And then we got to our Airbnb spot and it didn't end up coming through. But I remember asking my contractor, this won't count as part of the contract weeks. Like this, like I'll still have eight weeks with them versus this counting as part of the week timeframe. She said, yes, like adamantly, yes, this doesn't count until your first day there will be the start of the contract. Um, so fast forward, the facility I was at was really great. I feel like I was getting along well with the team. And I remember the boss there said something about my last day. And I was like, oh, yeah, like kind of brushed it off. Or no, it was another coworker said something like, well, your, your last week next week, which was not what I was thinking was my last week. And so then I went up and talked to my boss later. And she's like, yeah, we have that as your last week. You know, you weren't here the first like week and a half, two weeks of your contract, whatever it was. I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Try to play it cool with her. I said, that's fine. That's just be like a confusion with me and my like travel coordinator, whatever. Um, then I thought, okay, I said, I know this is my last week, but my last day will be Friday. Show up to work on a Tuesday and everyone's like, happy last day. <laughs> <laughs> it was my last day at work <laughs> I was like what <laughs> so not, not only was it off by a few weeks they didn't even let you finish the week it was just a random no. Tuesday they're like so it was, Vanessa it's been great we'll yes. see you later good luck yes a hundred percent and I so I really felt like a travel company for that I feel like that was just really bad like communication on the end day was start day and everything but I remember getting into the car. Mitch picked me up because, again, my car was in a car accident. I still didn't have it. <laughs> I got in the car, and I tell him, like, that was my last day. <laughs> it was such a mess. I thought I had, like, two more weeks. Then fast forward, I knew it was that was the last week. And then fast forward, that was the last day. It was whew, stressful. And was your Airbnb, like, a contract for another week or two? Oh, I think we had a contract for another month. We had like 
I think our plan was that we would have stayed like through mid-March and then we're going to do two weeks just in New Orleans to kind of like travel. But I ended up finishing, I want to say like the last week of February or maybe a little bit before that. So we stayed through the end of Mardi Gras. I think we stayed a few days and then gave our lease owner a heads up. Hey, my contract ended earlier than expected. Is there any way that we can back out on the contract or you can offer it to someone else to take over or whatever it was. But we ended up paying for the entirety of the month, even though we were not there. Like we left and had to pay for all of March. Gosh, that's always a stressful part when we rent places because you never know. I don't know how you guys do it all the time. My anxiety, I was stressed all the time. There's, we've had a couple, so that's definitely like beats all of ours, beats all of ours. That's like you had the worst experience on the shortest contract possible. Um, but those are things we've learned. Like our very first one in Alaska, we signed a seven month lease and that was really stressful, but we just like, let's see how it goes. But it it worked out. But now a lot of the places we go through are furnished binder and it's just month to month. So at worst case scenario, you finish off the month and you're out. Uh, that's nice. But yeah, that's uh fortunately never happened to us, but I like how we've done three years and had a few up and downs, but your one six weeks beats all of ours. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, so traumatic. And I, I mean, that apartment was nice. And I was curious how you guys handled it. Up. When I was looking for apartments, it was such a rush to find somewhere for us to stay. Um, ended up finding, I mean, Craigslist is just a crazy place of all fake ads. So stressful. Like, nope, not really going through this. I don't even remember how I found the apartment I ended up finding, but I had to send her the security deposit to hold the place for us ahead of time. I think it was like $1,800, something like that. And I remember, luckily she was an actual real estate agent. So I like looked up her credentials and stuff and was like, okay, I feel comfortable doing this. But we had to send that beforehand, sight unseen, just assuming that she was actually holding the place for us. So I remember when we drove up to New Orleans, there was such a anxiety of like, hopefully this is actually the place. <laughs> I, that happens to me every single time. There's been a couple where like, if we go into Carrie's sister's place or something where you're like, okay, we're going there because it's easy to live but yeah every time we find a house i'm like okay hopefully it's legit and then (laughs) you kind of forget about it once you give your deposit and then you make your drive and then halfway across the country i'm like okay let's let's hope it's there let's hope it's a safe area uh who knows fingers crossed i mean when we pulled up i think i don't know if you experienced this in new orleans but we were in the treme area so instantly it felt like we were in a different world and like all these really cute niche houses and we were in a multi-complex and I just was so stressed of like, well, she's been communicating with us. I'm assuming she's not blowing us off, but the code to the door works. And it ended up being a great situation. And we got, you know, she was great. It was fully furnished. No one had lived in there before. So housing wise, it was a good experience, but the rest of the contract was a stressful one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, We get a lot of moments like that. It's gotten easier and easier as we've done it because now we know what to expect. But there's been a lot, and I've been pretty stressed out before. Carrie, you know, usually, eh, but I tend to I feel to like she, go, she goes more with the flow probably with it. Yeah. Um, and then one element on top of having this travel contract was that Mitch wasn't going to work out there because it was such a short contract. You know, it was more like, let's just – my whole thought was you just finished – five plus years with the Marine Corps, you deserve a bit of a vacation. <laughs> so we can go out there together and do this. 
But I think it ended up being a lot of like, and I know that you and Carrie haven't always had jobs at the same time. What do you do with all that downtime in a brand new city where you don't know anyone and the other person's working? I think that that was a lot tougher than we anticipated, you know? The, the times we did get to go out together and the times he went all out by himself were fun, but there's still so much downtime for whoever's not working. Yeah. Uh, plus, so there's only been, well, I guess there's a contract and a half where I haven't had work. Um mm-hmm but found some stuff to do, but the added stress for like, for example, Houston, Carrie took a job there and she did it hoping I would get one, but she really wanted the Shriners job for the pediatrics, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have one. So within that, we moved there, you know, we were living with a friend I had met in Reading. So that was awesome, but we still were paying rent. And then I didn't have a job. And within that first week, she got two flat tires on different tires. So we had to buy four new ones. So they would all wear evenly. And I was like, this is not, (laughs) the stress we need right now when you just moved, you just paid rent. I'm not working and it's one income. And you're like, ah, <laughs> please stop spending. Things. And then for like the first four weeks of that assignment, I was stressed because, you know, you, you want to work, but there's not much to do. What do you do for eight hours during the day? So yeah, you can only yeah. watch so much Netflix and so much cleaning. Exactly. I, I mean, I think what, Mitch spent his time with was that was when the Red Dead whatever had just come out. So he's like, I've been playing through that. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. <laughs> but I think it just put a lot of more emphasis on the times that I wasn't working to make sure that we were going out. And like New Orleans is easy to stay busy, but I think yeah. it's just a matter of having something with you to go out. And I remember when you said when you left, you drove through Houston. Yeah. That's a crazy, crazy busy city. Well, here's the big thing is actually when we were coming to New Orleans, we drove through Houston. So I think it was three days of eight hour driving and we were still in Texas. I said, how is this possible? <laughs> so long. Said, how, are we, how are we still in Texas right now? But it was all flatlands. And then Houston for sure was one of the biggest, like it just pops up and you're driving through it for several miles. You're driving through their downtown, you know, it's such a big city. Um, that I, I could imagine what it was like living there for you guys. Yeah, I think I think Google Maps told Carrie it'd only take her 12 minutes to get to work, but uh, with traffic, it was like an hour and 10. Really? Oh, it was man. so long, and we were living with my friend Harwin, and so we had to move closer because it was just too much. Holy cow, I didn't realize that it was that much traffic going through the actual city part. It's crazy. It was crazy amount of traffic. Um, but yes, when my contract ended, there was no kind of question of we were going to do another travel. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. One and done. Six weeks. We were one and done. It was like six weeks of stress. I'm like, oh my God, between licensure, apartment housing, like contracts suddenly ending, um, car accidents, all that type of stuff. I was like, I don't know how people do this all the time, but I think that was just like, particularly stressful experience. <laughs> you know what we've also done is we've transitioned to, because most of ours have been 13 weeks, but mm-hmm. now we're slowly starting to realize even that's too fast because you settle in, you work for like four or five weeks, and then you're already starting to look for new ones. So most of yeah. our contracts will extend for an additional one because it just takes some of the stress out and you can like settle in a little more. But see, I, mine didn't even have the option of extending. Like she was like... <laughs> Openly said we had a staff meeting like Vanessa's been great, but we all know travelers are expensive and they were talking about efficiency um, within the facility. Um, 
But openly was like, we can't keep that on forever. So we are working on hiring new people on, et cetera, et cetera. But my building was very clear. Like it was not an option to extend it. There was, it's pretty rare in New Orleans to get travel contracts overall because it's such a hot city. At least what my contractor told me. Um, and so it was once that six weeks of that, we were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nothing worked in your favor. No, nothing worked in my favor. So what, uh, did you go to Colorado right after that? I don't even know. It's been so long since we caught up. I know. So after, after my sudden contract end, we spent a little bit longer. My, luckily enough, my parents actually had planned to fly out to hang out with us. And my thought was I would have to work for part of their trip. But it was nice that since I was out of the job, <laughs> I could just like the week with them. Um, but then afterwards, we ended up driving up through kind of Arkansas, Kansas, stopped and visited my grandma. And then we drove into Colorado. Um, and Mitch has some family kind of in the about an hour-ish outside of Denver. So we stayed with her for a little while. And then that's where we kind of regrouped and said, time to find jobs. Like Mitch was now looking for a job. I was now looking for a job. Um, and then apartment hunting within Denver area, depending on where the jobs are at. Yeah. Which led me to home health. So is that what you're doing now? No. So I did. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me about the home health experience. (laughs) So I ended up, um, when I got to Colorado, my main goal was again, to go back into skilled nursing. I took that rehab job in new Orleans just because it was more of like a new Orleans thing. But my goal was always to get back into skilled nursing. Um, but in 20, Oh boy, the beginning January, 2020, was that huge Medicare change um, where they're changing all reimbursements. And there's actually a lot of, they were switching from like minute based reimbursement to diagnosis based reimbursement. So across the board within skilled nursing, we were seeing a large downturn in full-time employment where a lot of people were let go. A lot of people were no longer doing part-time or PRN work anymore because they could no longer, they didn't know, they didn't need that many staff anymore since it was no longer minute based. So when I was looking on the job, it was around March of 2019. Oh, it must have happened 2019 then. Anyway, I was looking around March of 2019, and there was no skilled nursing jobs available at the time. And so I continued to look around, and there were some outpatient ortho jobs, and I just... You laugh because you know I could not do it. <laughs> no, I'm just laughing because I know you're the same as Carrie. Like, no, I just... That's the most boring thing in the world. It's, like, I'm not going to happen. Most, Yes, exactly. It's the most boring thing in the world. And I just knew like adamantly that that was not an option. Um, I don't think anyone would want me around their children for pediatric PT. I just, there weren't many options, but also I don't think anyone would want me to do that. So (laughs) the one job that continued to come up all the time was home health. And I had a lot of reservations about it. Um, I think mainly because being new to the area, I said, I would like a job with coworkers and you're not really going to get that with home health. Um, there's a lot of driving and I'm not familiar to driving in the snow and that would be something that I would have to contend with, et cetera. Um, but I ended up applying to, I think two or three home health jobs and then heard back from one and ended up going with that route. I think one of the things I was facing in Colorado was that there was quite a different pay rate change from San Diego to Colorado and that it was greatly reduced um, some of the things I was looking for were just not salary options. Um, I found a hospital that offered me a position, but I think it was like a $10 pay cut from what I was making in San Diego. 
And so I was thinking that home health would be more lucrative. You know, obviously it's tend to be more, more payment. And as long as you're accepting patients, you can somewhat match what you're maybe making. Um, and I was with that job for about a year. So I was based with that, within Denver metro area. I was doing home health services. Um, pros and cons, I feel like it, it really depends on the person if that's the fit for them. You end up doing a lot of management style stuff. Have you done home health? I haven't. That's I don't really don't know much about it. Carrie and I are always hesitant because the same reason with travel, you go to a new place and you don't know the area, then you don't know the people, and then you go to people's houses. We just there's a lot of layers to it, and that's kind of what I felt like I was contending with. Um, I feel very lucky that the home health agency I went with uh, was very willing to do as much training as you needed to. I feel like there was a really strong staff support, so that even if you were out in the field and not seeing any of the managers or anything, you were very much in contact with them via texts and calls and emails and whatnot. Um, the pros are that they, there can be good money, but caseload drops. And at the end of the day, it's not consistent work. Sometimes I think at my most, I was seeing 35 patients a week, which was pr- really high. I was really busy weeks. And then when COVID hit, I think I was down to like 12 patients and they had nothing to supplement that for. Um, Cause you're not guaranteed anything as a permanent employee. It's not like a 40 hour, no. you're working these hours. No, you're not guaranteed anything. They say that I think, I think it was 22 and up is considered full-time. Um, but at the end of the day, if they don't have the patients to send you to, and they have to still distribute it, that they tend to try to keep the PTs more open to do the evaluations and open cases and pass treatments onto the assistants. So they're, even if you do get a patient that you do the eval for, it doesn't mean that they're on your caseload for treatments. Um, some of the biggest things I think were contenders to, for anyone to think about if they were going into home health you're only paid for the time that you're with the patient for treatments. So that 45 minutes that you're with them, you're clocking it, you're clocking that treatment time and then you're getting paid a really high rate. And then you figure 15 minutes for travel to wherever the next spot is. Hopefully you organized your day so that you're not traveling back and forth, whatever it is. Um, but any cancellation of treatments, um, my place had some reimbursement where if someone canceled last minute, you could make, stipend for it, but not really. Um, you're doing a lot, a lot, a lot as a PT of management outside. Uh, that's one thing about home health that I've really wondered because yeah. so, so you get your schedule and then you have mm-hmm. to organize it and decide where you want to go and when, but for a permanent employee, you work your time with them and then that's it. So you driving to the next place or doing paperwork outside of that care is on you. All paperwork outside is on you. And I don't know. I've always heard that home health has a lot more paperwork than anywhere else. And then when I got into it, it was extremely true that the evaluation is an 18 page form. It's 18 pages of paperwork you have to do on any evaluation you do. Um, and it takes a long time. And I'm a very um, detailed like documenter. I feel like our school really emphasized that of like cover your license, making sure you're documenting everything it should be a snapshot that anyone could pick up your note and know exactly what happened. So it takes a long time. Um, Anything like calling doctors, calling families, if someone cancels and you're now trying to rearrange your schedule, okay, I have a big gap in the middle of the day. Let me try to move up my end of the day patient up, add this new eval on, except you're now dealing all that calls and rescheduling on your own time. Um, You're getting texts 
constantly. I want to say it's great that I was in contact with my PTAs all the time, but there was never an off switch to it. It was that late at night, hey, I have um, so-and-so decided today with this, or we're sending this person to the hospital, or this person fell, or we need to, can you call the doctor and get new orders for this, or da-da-da. It's constant that you're doing that, and then updating the chart and updating documentation. That's all unpaid work, you know, Um, which was after a while was starting to get frustrating to me. But I think I enjoyed it more when I was in the middle of it. When COVID hit and I saw such a downturn in caseload, I started looking for new work. Um, Wasn't really thinking I was going to do a new job. I thought I was fairly happy at my current one. Um, So I applied to this job that was going to be a rehab director job at a skilled nursing facility or at a senior living community and didn't really think I'd get it but continued to go through the interview process and ended up getting that job. And they needed someone pretty immediately because the building was opening back up after being locked down for COVID restrictions, put my two week in. And I want to say almost immediately starting that job, I realized how miserable I was in home health. <laughs> Did you enjoyed it where you, where you were at the new place? I think, I think I enjoyed so much more of like the stability of, I start work every day at 7.15 or 7.30 and I leave about the same time every day. I have coworkers um, and you're getting paid for all the time that you're there versus I just felt like there were so many regulations and things that the home health has to put on the therapist to do. That's just not paid work, but they are trying to compensate you by high like treatment rates but the reality is you're still doing so much outside of work that's not paid versus this new job, getting back into that hourly pay rate, consistent hours. Um, if someone cancels, it's not a big deal, et cetera, et cetera. But so was was just a lot more comforting to me, you know? So did you just say you're a rehab director? I am. I, I'm shocked. I didn't know. I am. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a rehab director at a, at a assisted living facility. So it's a 250 bed independent assisted and memory care building. Um, We have all all three groups, which is great. Um, We are billing under Medicare Part B services. So we're considered an outpatient PT clinic. The company I work with is contracted into this building. So we have our own therapy gym. We have a full size pool. We have a jacuzzi. Um, There's like a art studio. It's a very, very high-end senior wow. living um, And since we're billing under Medicare Part B services, a lot of those restrictions that you find under inpatient where you have to see the patient within 48 hours or they have to get that five-visit week. Um, I know within skilled nursing, it was like they have to hit their minutes or they have to hit their treatment frequency. A lot of that goes away. Um, and it's a lot more flexibility for what the patient actually needs. You can see them how often you need to see them. If there is a cancellation, it's not the end of the world. Um, a lot more freedom with the outpatient Part B services. So how many, um, I guess, PTs, like what do you have on staff currently? That's a currently, big, that's a big building. It's a big building. Um, I have one PTA that works underneath me. I'm the primary PT. I have an OT and we have a CODA and we have one speech therapist. All those are full-time at my building. The speech therapist kind of rose between two or three buildings. Um, and that's the whole staff. That's really cool. Did you ever think you'd be in a manager type setting this soon? No, I, you know, I really didn't. I think that home health allowed me to jump into a rehab director position because there was so much management that you were doing with your caseload, with doctor calls, scheduling, et cetera, et cetera. 
that when I transitioned into this job, it honestly felt a lot easier than what I was doing in home health, um, that I knew how to organize the schedule because now I'm doing it for whoever's on caseload for the whole building. We're setting their schedules and um, checking insurance authorizations, um, checking cancellations and evals and building caseload because we are still in charge of building our own caseload and marketing within the building. Um, was a fairly easy transition from home health. So it's been, it's been really great. I have a great manager too, and she gives us a lot of support. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so crazy. I didn't realize you were doing that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, and that's where you're currently at. And you've been there for how long? I've been there since um, June of 2020. So this building, when COVID hit, they kicked out therapy. I'm not sure if you guys went through this, but there was a time where a central worker didn't necessarily include therapy. It was kind of a gray zone. Um, so this building shut down all therapy services unless it was home health, since it was an inpatient billing type of thing, maybe nursing. Um, from March till June, the therapy team that was there at that time, one of them took it as a sign to retire. So she retired. <laughs> Someone else moved back home to like Rhode Island. So there was a few openings in the the staff. Um, that's how I ended up becoming the PT and rehab director. And then my OT kind of counterpart, she was also newly hired on. And then we kind of transitioned to the already established PTA and CODA for the building. Gotcha. Uh, for ours, because um, that was in Maine, we were in Maine when it had started. I was actually at a hospital, which is awesome. Actually, I love that hospital. Um, great spot. But I was the only inpatient PT, but they had like a huge outpatient staff. So when COVID hit, I got let go because they could just float their outpatient staff since outpatient was closed. So I had like five weeks of downtime. Um, So basically that's when I really started the blog and kind of this idea. Oh, I didn't Um, know that. Yeah. I think I I had kind of started the blog, but I really started taking it more serious because I had five weeks of downtime. So I started putting that together and just Mm -hmm. a lot of Spencer walks. (laughs) Uh, but a skilled nursing facility was looking for a PT. So that's how I got into skilled for the rest of those like six months. But eventually we had, I don't know if I told you, but we had COVID like at that facility. Oh, I didn't. Cause I think the last time you and I talked you, were like, Nope, it's not really in Maine. <laughs> yeah. Well, like we weren't experiencing rural Maine. Rural, yeah. And very early on, it wasn't really, uh, but our facility ended up getting it. So we were like on massive lockdown, obviously, but mm-hmm. Time frame wise, I think we really only took a few days off to kind of figure out which patients were testing positive, and so we kind of get the quarantine set up. But once that was done, we could go still see negative patients with the proper like PPE, and so yeah. just, they're still getting therapy because we still had people that were trying to get discharged home. Yeah. So we would do that and get tested every week, and then once once the entire building kind of went through because it was still hard to contain, then we start seeing the people post um, COVID infection. So. Well, what has your experience been working with geriatrics during COVID? Because I feel like I've seen quite a significant impact of COVID um, not even being necessarily that they, that they caught it, but more like mentally, physically, all that of what these restrictions have done. Oh gosh. Uh, Crazy. So first off, uh, we did obviously have some people that were really affected by it, but a few of the patients that got it, you wouldn't even know. I was shocked at some of the ones that didn't show symptoms because I thought they would have, but the uh, the restriction part was worse, I feel like, than the actual 
disease for many of them, not all of them. Some obviously had it pretty bad, but we had a few that either have, you know, they got dementia or they really rely on their family and they family comes in every a couple days to visit. And so for the ones that are used to seeing family that would get to see them or go out horrible because they just kind of like a lot of hope was lost. I felt like, and then for the ones Mm -hmm. with dementia, we'd have them, some of them would ask, Oh, you know, where's my family? Or they'd question if they were enough of a cognitive uh, ability to realize that. So that was tough. And then for quite a while there, it was in their room only. Like they weren't supposed to come out at all. Even the people that were negative because no one wanted to get someone infected. Uh, But I remember a couple just saying like, they were really sad. You know, I don't know if they would cry when we weren't there, but there were some pretty sad moments because they just felt like, what's going on? Like we were the highlight. I feel like therapy and the skilled nursing is already a big positive because they're just, some of them just want to go home. They want some interaction. So when they weren't allowed out of their room, if they would gown up, we could at least bring them one-on-one to the, to the gym. So I felt like that was a huge, huge mental benefit for them. And I felt like a lot of people declined just because of that. Uh-huh. I agree 100%. I think that with our building being locked down, um, there was a mini outbreak in our memory care unit in March, which I think prompted the lockdown um, and then when I came on and the staff was able to come back in in June, just such an outpouring of people being so grateful that therapy was back. Um, because at that time, I want to say from March until maybe September, our building had it that no one was allowed to leave at all. Um, no family was allowed in the building. No outdoor visitation. It's just window visits. Um, if they did leave to a doctor's appointment or something, it was a mandatory 14-day quarantine. Um And that was across the board, independent, assisted, and memory care. So our independent residents, some of them are highly independent um, and being told that they can't do anything anymore. We saw such a huge influx of like depression, increased falls because they were just staying in their apartments, um, deep conditioning, um, a lot more speech therapy-wise. We were getting a lot of referrals just because there's such a cognitive decline with the decreased interactions of things. We've had some residents that moved in, so moved in from their personal homes into the building over COVID um, that don't know anybody and all the activities are ceased and they're told not to interact with anyone. And so we're seeing such like a depression rate with them of, I don't know anyone here. I don't know how to meet friends here. Um, And kind of like you said, that therapy offered such a great light to them of it means so much I'm able to get in my room and do something it's great to talk to you guys um even with all the restrictions etc and for some of them that aren't as independent and can't like go for a day trip with family Mm -hmm. what they look forward to is literally I get to go to the dining room for breakfast lunch and dinner there's some kind of bingo there's activities there's games going on and just literally some of them just wanted to chat with their neighbor across the hall so yeah. it's really sad because I know yes. everyone's worried and they don't want to get it. But at the same time, I definitely feel like the, the deconditioning probably that's going to be lingering from all this, as well as the mental aspect of it. Huge deal. I mean, it's, I think it's so, so, so big. And I think that, um, you know, we had some patients talk very candidly of I'm losing a year of my life that I don't have. Like, this is just not something I have to shut down and stop doing things, you know. Um, and like you said, our memory care unit um, patients with dementia just seem to 
benefit so much from routine and to take away their family members, et cetera, that's been really hard. Um, some of the people that we picked up on caseload were obviously calling families to give them updates. And they're asking, can you check if they're, if the nurses are still putting that, um, like the lidocaine patch on them? Or can you check that she's actually opening the mail we're sending her? Or that in all these things that families would have done, but are no longer able to do. And they don't feel like they can necessarily communicate with the staff who's busy. Um, and I think that they always feel like therapy is the more available to them or compassionate or whatever it is that we're getting a lot of family requests of, can you set up a FaceTime call with dad today so we can call, et cetera. Um, because it's therapeutic all, all around, you know, some days it's just, you got to be there emotional. And therapist. having worked at a few sniffs, um, and most have been pretty good, but even at the good ones, I really feel like when, when family's coming in and you know family's going to be there, patients get just a little bit better care. They might get washed up earlier that morning or they might be in their nicer clothes. You know, it's the small things. And I know it's not a huge deal and I'm not saying anything really bad about skilled nursing, but when the family's coming, the patients get, I think, just that little extra special care. And then the family can check in, like you said, oh, well, you didn't get that. Are you sure? And then they'll ask. And it just, it's, it's busy at a nursing facility. They are sometimes understaffed, so they need help as well. And I think when family comes in, it just gives like that extra care on top of it. I agree. I mean, it sounds, I mean, some facilities, the honest truth is you need to be on top of them or else things are not going to be taken care of the way you want to be. But I think having that family presence, you're right. It's just a good reminder for people to hold staff and whoever accountable to things. And it does just seem to be like, there's like an extra layer of attention because you know, you're going to be asked about it later or whatever it is. Um, and then not having that family presence now has been tough for a lot of families, a lot of residents um, you know, we have, it's just, it's just tough across the board. And I know that right now, I'm not sure what you guys are doing on your end, but, um, vaccines are starting to get released. I believe we're all getting the vaccine this Thursday and residents are so hopeful that that opens life back up to them, you know, yes. that they're able to start doing things again. So I'm hopeful for that too, because they, they deserve it. Yes. I feel like if that allows it to open up, it needs to get going that way they could have some kind of interaction. Yeah. Uh, I got one more question on this and I have something else I want to ask. So sure. being someone who is loving working in the sniff life for anyone out there, that's either going to be a new grad or not sure about a skilled nursing. Yeah. You love it, right? That's, I, I love mean, it. That's the plan. I think for the foreseeable future, I can see myself exclusively working geriatrics. And one thing I've really liked as well is so without patient, you have a set schedule and patients with inpatient mm -hmm. It's, there's a little leeway, but I feel like skilled nursing, it's kind of like, okay, I want to see a nine-hour day on Monday. Maybe you have to go somewhere on a Tuesday after work. You can get out early, and you can really customize your work schedule most of the mm -hmm. time and see mm -hmm. people a little longer, and whether you get a short Friday or something, sometimes you can work those out. I feel like there's mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of leeway. Um, that is definitely a benefit of whether you're dealing with inpatient like skilled nursing or like what I'm now doing in the senior living with Part B, the Medicare week is still always going to be that Saturday to what is it, Friday. So, or Sunday, what is it? Now I'm going to forget what it is. I don't know. You're the rehab director. Sunday, <laughs> I'm going to get all these on these. Sunday to Saturday, something like that. Sunday to Friday. <laughs> anyway, we have a lot of times that therapists will come in and say, I'm going to work the Sunday so I can take Friday off. Um, 
and that continues to meet the frequency we need or the visits that we need. And it's very flexible in that sense. Um, one thing I will say is that with this new job we're in, we do set the schedule. So it's kind of more like outpatient that we tell people we're going to see you at 8 a.m. We're going to have 9 a.m. So the day is set. Um, but there is some flexibility that since all those residents are in the building, if we have a cancellation, we're able to call, hey, can you come down? Or set, hey, I need to leave early this day, so I'm going to take a long day here and a short day here. Um, that is definitely a big perk of working in this setting, you know, having more control of your schedule um, than not. So I do have a question. I never would have thought that Carrie and I would be living the gypsy lifestyle because I was very, I'm going to buy a house and settle down. Uh-huh. You own a house and you, yeah. you settled down. I always thought you'd be the one that's like, I don't know where I'm working. I'm going wherever. <laughs> and you're so stable. Um, how did, are you asking me how I ended up like that? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, <laughs> uh, how did you end up that way? <laughs> I just think it's really cool. You're a few years out of school. You got your house. Like, yeah very grown up of you. It is. I mean, it was, it felt like a big purchase and purchasing a house during a pandemic was a whole nother layer of things. Um, I think a lot of the push was that was kind of long-term coming of what if when Mitch and I were deciding to leave California, that was always the goal is we want to move to a state that we're able to make these choices of buying a house and, um, settling in like a good community, et cetera. That was always kind of where we were headed with things. Um, so I think that's a large part of what made us pick Colorado is that housing is going up here. But to me, a San Diego girl, I'm like, it's very affordable. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I know that that talking to Mitch, that was definitely one of his biggest goals of just being deployed so many times and feeling like he didn't have any stability within the Marine Corps. Um, as far as like choosing location, et cetera. Um, I think that was a big goal for him is to finally set something that this is like my spot, my house, et cetera. Um, so we were able to continue to push for it. I think there was some time that when we first came to Colorado, we picked a spot and took this home health job, et cetera, learned more about where we liked in Colorado and then the continued push to say, okay, we're aiming towards the house um, was the big goal. And I honestly think that this rehab director job, having consistent hours and having a consistent spot to be was a large push of what made me feel ready for a house purchase because I knew that income was fairly consistent. Hours would always be consistent versus home health. I didn't know necessarily if I would have been as ready since there was still so much variation in it, you know, but it's been, I mean, buying a house is always exciting and I'm, I, it's been great there's homeowner things that I have like a million projects and Pinterest will make me think I'm a lot more crafty. (laughs) I told Mitch, I'm like, all we need is like a table saw, a staple gun, um, a laser, like measure, all the stuff. He's like, what what are you talking about? Why do you think you have all these things? (laughs) I have a long list of projects that we've started that are unfinished. Don't get on Pinterest and then watch HGTV and I'm going to go over there and you're going to be like, I have a whole woodworking shop. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I'm saying. I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, so now, especially we have like Mitch parks his car outside now. He he got a new car, so he not parks it outside. Um, 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, we have all this room in the garage to put all of our tools and all of our crafts and stuff. And then we have a basement, which is the craziest thing. I've never, ever, ever lived somewhere that has a basement and we have one. I'm like, this is where we can um, turn it into a movie theater and bar down here. I just have all these like lofty goals. And as I sit here, we have no furniture in 80% of the house. So (laughs) it's long, it's a long, maybe that'll be my next like five-year plan is to furnish this place. (laughs) That's really cool though. That's really cool. You got one. We got to make it out there. We've been dying to go to Colorado. It just hasn't happened. Well, you know, you guys have an open invitation at any point. We'll make it. We'll make it. We're trying to make Spencer it. Spencer can Spencer can maybe come. We'll keep him in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> hold, hold on. I want to say something. Um, how many years at school are we? Four and a half, roughly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it kind of weird being a younger in a manager position, only four and a half years out of school? And yeah, whatever you're going to say. You know, I feel like I got really lucky. All my staff is older than me, but not much older. My OT is maybe two years older. My PTA is maybe two and a half, but you'd probably, yeah, maybe two and a half years. Um, But my CODA is much older than me and has been with the company a long time. Um, She's super nice. She's great at what she does. But I feel like there's been some points where I think she's just more familiar with communicating with our multi-site manager and so there will be things that our multi-site manager is not involved at all in scheduling. And yet she'll continue to tell that person, hey, I need this day off or I need a short day here. And then it feels like we're getting relayed through it just piecemeal wise. And so Mitch is always like, he goes very Marine style, of like this is what I would tell them. And like, I respect the chain of command. <laughs> and so I okay whoa 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 it's a much more sensitive workplace like much like calmer um i think it took a little a little bit of courage for me to finally like stand up and be like hey you know the reality is i'm your point of contact for that type of stuff i need you to relay it to me because it just becomes more complicated if i'm hearing it from so and so to here to here to here i you know we're the point of contact here um and standing your ground in some things i She's great. I don't want to make it sound like she's always like challenging authority or whatnot, but I think that there's some authoritative command that comes into play with being the manager and being a newer, a newly hired staff member versus her being more years of experience and being with the company longer. Um, that sometimes it just needs a reminder of, you know, at the end of the day, I'm the one in charge, etc. And yeah, I like that power. <laughs> <laughs> I like telling people what to do. So um, I think that was my hardship in my skilled nursing is that I, my DOR was great, but also not great at all. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I always struggled in my first job of his manager skills was like not at all how I would handle things. And I felt like it was very gotcha. place, et cetera. So having a position where at the end of the day, if I want to do it that way, that's the way it goes. I'm like, oh, whew. I feel like that's the best way. I'm glad you all agree with me. <laughs> well, I'm glad this could agree. So. <laughs> uh, that's good. It sounds like you're enjoying it. Uh, for the most part, yes. And it always gives me feedback on being tougher. So I feel like I've gotten thicker skin now, so to speak. <laughs> Thanks for checking out the Road Tripping PT podcast. 
If you want to follow along with our adventures, learn more about travel therapy, or just get in touch, you can find us on Instagram or on our Facebook page at Road Tripping PT. Hope you enjoyed the episode. See you next time.